I know that Kathleen and Peter have welcomed you, and I join them in welcoming you all here today. I'd also like to, on behalf of all of us, thank both Peter and Kathleen for the considerable work and effort that went into making this day possible and for creating this wonderful space in which we can spend the day together. Thank you both very much. I'd like to begin just giving some sense of how the days get to unfold so that um, insofar as we can tell, you'll have an idea of what to expect. And I probably will be covering a few points that uh, have already been covered. The meditation practice that I have been doing for 20 years is insight meditation or Vipassana meditation. And I will be offering those instructions today. Insight meditation is the core meditation of the Buddha's teaching, which as you are aware probably is manifested in Tibetan practice, in Zen practice, in all the different countries that the Dharma, the Dharma is the word for the teachings of the Buddha, has flourished. But right the essence is the practice of being awake and being present with each moment of life. And that is the practice that we'll be doing together today. And I'm quite certain that many of you have done a number of other practices. And I invite you, if it feels comfortable today, just to be with this particular practice. There's a lot of merit in just staying with one practice for a while, experimenting with it, seeing how it feels. And then after today, it'll mean whatever it means to you. But um, just, if it feels good, surrender, and we'll just allow the day to gently uh, unfold in that way. As I know Kathleen has mentioned, it's really helpful if we are together today in a place of silence. And the reason is not to make it onerous and heavy in any way, but the silence is a way that really serves this journey into ourselves. And it's so precious to have a period of time together as we do have. And supporting one another to be in silence, in my experience, is one of the greatest gifts that we can give another human being. And so I encourage you to experiment with the silence, and particularly at those junctures, in those moments when you feel, I really need to talk, I really need to say something, to see if there's a willingness and a capacity to just rest in that moment and feel that impulse to be external. Now, if there's anything pressing or urgent that needs attention, I invite you to come to me and, ex and uh, we'll deal with it. So it's not sort of a 100% imposition. It's just an opportunity for us all to work with that. There will be periods of discussion and there will be dialogue happening during the day. So if you have any questions concerning the practice or anything else relating to today, um, there will be opportunities to deal with that also. Um, there is in Massachusetts a tape library that distributes the teachings of uh, many of the Dharma teachers and um, they have asked if I would tape today and the subsequent 
days that I'm going to be doing here at Volcano. And so with Kathleen's assistance, we'll be, uh, this is the microphone, and uh, during the periods of discussion, we'll move the microphone to the center where it will pick up all our voices. If there's anybody that's uncomfortable with that, or if there's anybody at any point that would like the taping to stop, let me know, and we will stop the, the taping during those times. It's very important that you feel most comfortable. It also is wonderful for others to have an opportunity to share in what we're going to be doing together for whatever reason they're unable to be here. The gong. Um, <clears throat> the day will have periods of sitting meditation and walking meditation. In the middle of the day there will be time for lunch. When we had a, a day-long retreat like this in February, we had this beautiful schedule. We get to sit from this time to that time, we get to walk from that time, and then we get to have lunch from this time. And the whole thing just went out the window. So I said to Kathleen, let's not have a schedule. Let's just allow each of us to bring our energies and our sincerity to the day and allow it to unfold together. It's going to be gentle and it's not going to be tough. And we will have a break around about the middle of the day. If there's anybody that has a specific re time requirement in terms of eating, let me know and we can certainly accommodate that. But there will be an extended period of time for lunch. And, uh, and free time after lunch, and then we'll come together. We will end at 5 o'clock. And the final thing that I want to say before beginning is days like this one are a wonderful opportunity to be with what is difficult for us. And it might be that there are times in the day when you're feeling bored or irritated or perhaps heard quite enough of my voice or whatever it is I have to say. And it's not often that we're given an opportunity to be with those moments really wholeheartedly. And particularly with the subject that we're addressing today, the busyness of everyday life and how to work with that in a skillful way to bring more balance. Often it is the difficulties unacknowledged and avoided that propel us into a momentum that subsequently we find is very helpful. And so I encourage you, particularly during those moments when you're feeling like you want to speed up, you want to move, you don't like something, to just rest there and be there at those times. There's enormous possibility in those junctures. And I sometimes feel for me that the places of the greatest learning have been born out of those moments when I've been willing to just rest in what is difficult. This is the first of a series of one-day retreats. We've got three more scheduled through March. There's one on forgiveness later in the year and then one on working with fear and one on faith and passion in the spring next year. And my commitment and my resolve in uh, exploring these together here at Volcano is my 
deepest sense that the meditation practice, if it has meaning for me, it must come alive in everyday life. And so we will be exploring subjects that I have found and others have found to be particularly relevant in enhancing the quality of everyday life. And these little islands of meditation coming together as we're doing now in silence, supporting one another, holding one another in community, I feel are an affirmation of our commitment and resolve to live more conscious, loving and kind lives. And so that is the spirit that uh, I bring to this day. And um, I hope that this is going to be a fruitful um, experience for you. Rather than further words right now, what I'd like to suggest is that we spend maybe 10, 15 minutes together in silence just to allow ourselves to arrive here fully together. And then I will introduce the day and we'll move into what it is that we're going to get up to. And so what I will do during the course of the day is in the initial period of each period of meditation, I will offer the instructions and then there will be largely a period of silence for meditation together. So I'd like to invite you, if, well, actually are there any questions that anybody has at this point? So, if you would take a position that's going to be comfortable for you, And whether it's on a, a stool or a bench or a cushion, wherever, it doesn't really matter at all. What's most important is that your spine be as perpendicular as possible. And what I found particularly helpful is to imagine a string pulling up the back of the head, up the chin slightly in, and just elongating the spine allowing the eyes to close softly. Just being aware of the sitting posture in these first few minutes. Allowing the spine to rest, not too tightly and not too loosely, just somewhere in the middle. Being aware of the feelings of pressure, perhaps, the buttocks on the chair or the cushion, the floor, the bench. Allowing the body to relax as much as possible. There are noticeable areas of tension and holding. If it 
it's possible to release them, then of course do so. It's arriving here fully in body together today, right now, moment to moment. Allowing the awareness, the attention, the mindfulness to be present with the changing sensations in the body, feelings of pressure or tingling, tightness, heat, cold, being fully present with the truth of the body here, now together. it will happen that from time to time the attention will move to thinking, to thoughts that arise. Just acknowledge that a thought has arisen and at whatever point that awareness happens, returning to the experience of sitting here together this morning. judging the sensations in the body, without commenting, without adding words of any kind, just allowing the body to rest and being present with the truth of what it is that you experience in body, moment to moment, now.
your own time as there is a readiness to do so, I invite you to shift the attention to the experience of breathing. Being aware of the changing sensations in the body as the breath enters and as it leaves the body. Bringing awareness or mindfulness to the in-breath. Bringing awareness and mindfulness to the entire out-breath. Without judging or commenting on the breath, allowing the body to breathe itself, not changing the breath in any way, being simply and fully present with the truth of the breathing, here, now, together. just bringing the tension back to the experience of breathing. This willingness to begin again and again and again is the heart of the meditation practice.
thinking arises, that's okay. Just returning to the changing sensations of the breath as it enters and as it leaves the body. last few minutes. Being aware of the in-breath, the middle, and the beginning. If possible, being aware of any spaces between the breathing. Being aware of the middle, wholeheartedly present with the truth of life, moment to moment.
It's a bit louder than I thought it was going to be. I'm sorry if I startled you or woke anybody up. <laughs> um, at the end of the day, please know there will be an opportunity for us to meet one another, to network. This is a sort of unique time to get to know one another beyond the words and beyond the labels and beyond all the stuff. So. Just know that the day's not going to unfold uh, without us all getting to know each other a lot better. It's always wonderful on these retreats to meet somebody in silence, and then when you finally hear them speak and hear a little about them, then you realize just how much projecting and how many ideas have gotten in the way. Uh, if you know, if anybody would like to come closer, you are very welcome to do that. You know, particularly, you know, feel free to sit in front of those who are on chairs if you feel a little too distant. So you don't have to be this expansive if, if you don't feel comfortable. And I think I'm going to shift a bit back because I, I'm sort of, <laughs> sort of way ahead of you here. Okay. Well, does anybody have any questions about the sitting now that we've seen started before I... Great. Well, it could be closer. It could be closer. Closer to the Yeah. Yeah, it I live in a world governed largely by the forces of distraction and avoidance, and so often reeling with violence, inhumanity, and carelessness. And we together today, in community, hand in hand with one another, and certainly with other sensitive and open-hearted women and men all over the world, bravely and I feel perhaps even courageously set ourselves the formidable task of finding a place of love and truth, kindness and presence within and not outside of the circumstances in which we live. And this vision I feel both exemplifies the potential and the possibility of the meditation practice that we do here. What meaning the meditation has and what qualities we develop and awaken to, I feel must eventually accompany us and blossom into the busy corridors that we populate as we go about our lives, so often rushed and so often torn by conflicting priorities. The balance, the care, the mindfulness of meditation, what we practiced a few minutes ago, must overflow into the weeks when we wish the hours of the day were longer and our capacity to cope greater than it seems to be. And rightfully and thankfully, 
we nevertheless yearned for times again when we felt a settling, a relinquishment of the everyday momentum that to a degree from time to time appears to control, harangue, and grip our frazzled hearts and frantic minds. Perhaps our world today is busier than it was before, and the pace of life more frenetic and captivating than in times past. But I feel it would be an arrogance to assume that our resolve to know a life of peace within the storm is more challenging today than it was for our ancestors all the way back to the Buddha who lived two and a half thousand years ago. seems indisputable that our collective hearts and minds have created the craziness, the rushing, the pressure of the world, both within and around us. 2,500 years ago, the Buddha, in his awakening to truth, identified the three factors of mind which consistently birth the suffering of humankind the factors of greed, hatred, and delusion. He called them in his first sermon after his enlightenment, he called them the three spokes of the wheel that ensnare us to the cycle of birth and death. And I am in no doubt that it's these three self-same factors of greed, hatred, and delusion that belie and fuel the cycles of busyness that so painfully impact us today. This is what he said. He said, inconceivable is the beginning of this samsara, which is this cycle of birth and death and birth and death and birth and death. He said, not to be discovered is the first beginning of beings who, obstructed by ignorance and ensnared by craving, are hurrying and hastening through the round of rebirths. Which do you think is more? The flood of tears which weeping and wailing you have shed upon this long way, hurrying and hastening through this round of rebirths, united with the undesired, separated from the desired, this or the water of the four great oceans. Long have you suffered, he said, the deaths of fathers and mothers and sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, and while you were thus suffering, you have shed more tears upon this long way than there is water in the four great oceans. And thus have you long undergone suffering and misfortune and filled the graveyards full. And what releases us, what delivers us, what liberates us and what frees us from this sad cycle 
is simply the truth of things, perceived within the clarity of a heart that is open and a mind that is awake, ungoverned by chaos and confusion that from time to time loom large within and outside of ourselves. And this, I feel, is precisely why I am here and perhaps why we're all here together, why we meditate, to understand the workings of greed, hatred, and delusion in our lives and free ourselves from the bondage of these forces. So today in our exploration together, by flying in the face of chaos, by disdaining the confusion of things and by aligning our hearts and minds with the truth, I believe that we sidestep any personal docility, any collusion with these forces of suffering. And instead, together in community, hand in hand with one another, we position our footfalls very firmly in the direction of happiness and contentment and an ease of well-being that must certainly benefit us and benefit all sentient beings and open us to that peace which passeth all understanding, irrespective and notwithstanding the busyness of our everyday lives. I'd like to share with you a beloved Sufi tale, find it very touching. It's the tale of the Hadikwa, the walled garden of truth. It's a story of three men. The first was the Sultan of Ghazna, his name was Brahman Shah. And the second was a man called Hakim Sanai, and Hakim Sanai was the Sultan's court poet. And the third man in the story is a guy called Lai Kur who was a great and legendary Sufi mystic of the time. I lived for four years in Iran, and during that time I lived with my partner. He and I lived down near the bazaar in Tehran, which was a far cry from most, where most of the other expatriates and most of the Americans, they were up on the Elbows Mountains near the Shah's palace, but we lived right down in the thick of things in Tehran. And to get to our home, we had to walk through these high walls on either side of the labyrinth of sort of passageways that took us eventually to the door. And when we opened the door, everything was gray and dark and sort of dirty and filthy. When we opened the door, there was this beautiful garden inside. It was tree and flowers and a fountain. It was a, like a little paradise. I always sort of wish that I was a bird, that I could fly up above and just see all these little walled hadikwas all around um, Tehran. Because what you saw in the street was invariably very filthy. I mean, the sewerage alone used to just flow down the streets in, in sort of furrows. So, you know, it, it, it wasn't a very choice place to live. And in Persian, I speak Persian, or I did then, I haven't had the opportunity to speak it, these um, little gardens are called fidauses, little walled gardens, and it is from the word fidaus in Farsi or Persian that the English word paradise comes from. So this is the story about one of these little garden paradises. 
So the Sultan of Ghazna, Brahman Shah, was on his way to India. <coughs> he was off to conquer the subcontinent with a huge army and a large retinue. And he was hurrying through this little town and all of a sudden he stopped. He heard something utterly mysterious. He couldn't avoid or ignore the singing that he heard. Now, Brahman Shah was a great lover of music and he'd never heard anything like this before. It was as if it poured into him like the richest and sweetest wine he'd ever tasted. And he heard it deep inside himself and he was immediately drunk with the beauty of what he heard. It had an ecstatic impact on him that was almost painful. The notes and the chords and the melody that he heard had something of the beyond about them. Something of heaven reaching down to earth. Something of the unknown calling to the known. And it was irresistible and he had to go in. And so he had somebody open the door of the walled garden and he walked in with several of his retinue and there they discovered Lyker who was singing and creating this beautiful sound. Lyker, as I said, was this legendary mystic uh, in, the, in the Middle East of the time. And Lyker, on seeing the Sultan, he said, let us all drink a toast to the blindness of the Sultan. Everybody was like, oh my God, you know, this is terrible. This is a, a very harsh ruler. And the Sultan got angry, but you must also remember that he was intoxicated by this music. He was ecstatic, so he was kind of shaken. And Lyker continued, he said, you must be a very, very blind man. He said, what is it, he said, outside of yourself that you think you can conquer? He said, the only treasure is within yourself. He said, go back home and look within yourself. And the Sultan was like really shocked. And he wavered just for an entrance. And Lyker said, look, he said, I truly am a conqueror. He said, without conquering the world that you see outside yourself. And he said, and you, Sultan, are nothing more than a beggar. And the Sultan said, I've heard enough of this nonsense. Insisted, you know, we got to proceed to India. Come on, guys, let's go. You know, this guy's a flake. And then, like her, said, wait, wait, wait. He said, let us all now drink a toast to Hakim Sanai, the court poet. Let's drink a toast to the blindness of Hakim Sanai. Now, everyone was like scandalized because Hakim Sanai, his fame had penetrated to all the lands of the Middle East. He was a guy of excellent reputation and flawless behavior. He was a virtuous man and a man of great conscience. And the Sultan and others were very disturbed by what Lyker had said. And Lyker persisted. He said, I actually think that it's more apt that we drink a toast to the blindness of Hakim Sanai. He said, because, he said, before long you, and then he spoke to Hakim Sanai, he said, you are going to stand before your maker. And he said, and all that you'll be able to produce are a few stupid eulogies to a dumb king. He said, I expect a lot more from you. You have the potential and you're just wasting your life. And Hakim 
deeply disassociated himself from the royal entourage, which is already busying itself and preparing to leave for war. And he looked into the eyes of Lyker, and something incredible happened. Something died within him completely, and something utterly new arose. And in a single moment of stopping, of listening, of being awake, of being utterly present and mindful and disconnecting and disassociating himself from the busyness around him, in a single moment there was a complete transformation within him and he opened to a full and utter enlightenment. It said that he bowed and touched the feet of Laikar and wept for joy and never did proceed to India with the Sultan and spent the rest of his life documenting poetry that arose out of the ecstasy of what Laikar had opened him to. I love and am so inspired by the story of Hakim Sanai. It really challenges me to trust deeply inwardly and to disdain the voices of distraction and confusion outside of me and within me and to unwaveringly set my compass on the truth and on balance and on with what is actually happening in my life, moment to moment. I've been meditating for 20 years now and teaching for the last eight years. And there are many blessings in sharing these beautiful teachings. Certainly one of them is that I get to meet again and again so many wonderful people as I'm doing now and being a part of different communities as we are today and then meeting other people in, in other places. But one of the other blessings is that I get more or less always to choose what it is that we sort of focus on. And I must assure you that whatever we guys who are privileged enough to sit over here choose is not what we know, it's what we're learning. And so I want to affirm that I, like you, am a student of trying to bring balance and clarity and kindness and presence in my life within the marketplace of everyday life. And so I just really want to express that very clearly. We're definitely in this together. And so what I'd like to do is my contribution to to our day is just speak a little personally about this issue, how, how um, it is for me today. For me, the meditation practice is about self-responsibility. If I am docile, if I am passive, if I am ineffectual and feel victimized in the face of the circumstances of my life, I sentence myself to certain death long before my body has stopped breathing. If I feel that I have too much on my plate, if my appointment book seems onerous and malevolent, I'm often left confused and overwhelmed. And then I might armor myself against life, and I look for security 
where it is impossible. In denial, in avoidance, in resentment, in self-protection, and in rushing. And the joke is that nobody imposed the schedule upon me. And yet, I can feel persecuted, victimized, isolated, and alone against the world, all in the prison of my own self-creation. And these interludes for all my life have been the most loveless and heartless junctures of my years. And I will no longer endure or tolerate the self-crucifixion and unkindness anymore. I live today with a fierce and wholehearted and largely unwavering resolve to end this crippling collusion with the pace of life that has hurt me so much and of course which has also impacted those around me. I believe that life cannot appear busy and unworkable if we rest willingly and wholeheartedly in the present. Can we with mindfulness not drag the past into the present to be the light that guides us now? And can we not squander precious moments of present life and breath with fear and anxiety about the future? I believe it's all about having the faith, the courage, the patience, and of little faith. <laughs> I believe, for me certainly, it's all about having the faith, the courage, the patience, and the resolve to bring a vibrant, joyous, and enduring practice of mindfulness to every juncture and every corridor of my life. Embracing everything and excluding no particular or single moment, especially those that feel frantic and beyond my control. If we are rushing or feel rushed, if there is conflict within us or with another, can we truly stop? And this perhaps is, as I said, one of the blessings of today. Can we truly stop and mindfully recognize, accept, embrace, and look deeply to the heart of what is happening, rather than accelerate. If, for example, we are angry and disturbed about the violence in Kosovo, or we're fearful of dying, or we're sad about the illness of a friend, or obsessed with something or other, or if one of our addictions have paid us a visit, can we bless ourselves with a loving and mindful response to what has arisen in that moment that we might recognize, accept, embrace, and inquire deeply into the heart of the matter and perceive the truth of things? I'm reminded of one of my favorite quotes uh, the Gospel of St. Thomas. He says, what we 
bring forth will save us and what we don't bring forth will destroy us. That's words from the Gnostic Gospels. And that I feel is so much at the heart of what we're looking at today. Rather than hurtling into a mad and self-destructing cycle once again, can we stop and be with the truth? In a very real way, I believe our suffering planet cries out and calls out to all of us to stop, to end any personal contribution to the busyness in our world, to cease every collusion with a pace of life that is spinning both our world and ourselves way out of balance. Our commitment to mindfulness, our commitment to meditation today is, I feel, that important, that radical, that powerful, and that imperative. Let's use today wholeheartedly. I certainly am going to do that. This is such a precious opportunity to be together. I invite you to be as slow as you would like to be today. There's no rush here. And being radically accepting of everything that arises, all in a space of kindness. May this day unfold in a space of patience, forgiveness, gentleness, and love. For some reason, Today there are going to be a lot of Sufis around, so we heard from Hakim Sanai and those guys, and this is another Sufi, this is Kabir, Kabir, the great Sufi poet. He says, don't go outside to see the flowers. My friend, don't bother with that excursion. Inside your body there are flowers, and one flower has a million petals. That will do for a place to sit. Sitting there, you will have a glimpse of beauty inside the body and outside of it, before gardens and after gardens. Please sit again together and then I will offer walking meditation instructions and we'll go out into the garden together and play. Again we will sit just for about another 15 minutes or so. And I invite you once more to take a comfortable sitting position. Allowing the eyes to gently close softly. Being aware of the perpendicularity of the spine.
life-changing sensations in the body right now, moment to moment. As you feel ready, allowing the awareness to move to the changing sensations of the breath as it enters and as it leaves the body. without judging, without commenting, without changing the breath in any way, being simply wholeheartedly present with life manifesting moment to moment in the changing sensations of the breath. and of course it will do so, just being gently and patiently willing to return to the experience of breathing, being aware that a thought has called the attention perhaps, or a sound, an emotion, returning, being willing to return changing sensations of the breathing, being aware of the beginning, the middle, and the end of the in-breath, being aware of any space, any gaps between the breaths, and then the beginning, the middle, the end of the out-breath. discern where it is that you experience the breathing most clearly. It may be the tip of the nostrils, it 
maybe the chest area, maybe the rising and falling of the abdomen. Wherever it is that you experience the breath most clearly, allow the awareness to settle there. This looks like a desert over here. Hmm. Do you think we could have like a little oasis in the middle, like some flowers? Mm -hmm. Maybe the next time we come together? Mm -hmm. Don't you think? Mm. It's like so far away. <laughs> One of the blessings of being in a place like this is that we can practice one of the most important aspects of the meditation, which is continuity. And particularly during these transition times, I really encourage you to experiment with extending the mindfulness and the attention into whatever it is that's going to happen next, whether it's cleaning your glasses, whether it's, you know, having a drink of water, whether it's stretching, just being with the little movements really wholeheartedly and fully. So it's not like there's a period of sitting and then we go somewhere, then there's a period of walking meditation. The whole day becomes one continuous endeavor to be as wholehearted as possible. I'm always very wary of defining particular periods of time for meditation because it gives a sense that it's something you do and it's over. But for me, it's really a, a way of being. And we sit and do walking meditation in order really only to, for me to live my life more, more wakefully. The walking meditation instructions are fundamentally the same as the sitting. In both practices, we are exercising that muscle, or if I can put it that way, or we are cultivating the ability to be present moment to moment with the truth of what is happening. And so, in the sitting practice so far, we've been using sensations in the body, the sensations of the breath, uh, to begin to bring the mind to the present moment. We're going to extend the instructions through the course of the day to include every facet of our experience. But it's the, the same with the walking. In the walking, we are again cultivating that willingness to be just simply present. And, and what we do in the walking is we give awareness to the sensations of walking in the body. And so what I invite you to do is, after I've presented these instructions, to find a place, you can do it in here if you like, 
go outside along one of the paths, wherever. There are many open spaces here. Have a length of space, maybe 20 foot long. It could be less, it could be more. And then just mindfully get to your space, have a sense of where it is, and then just stop at the beginning of your pathway and just feel the sensations of standing. Being aware of the feelings of pressure. The mind wanders, bring it back. It's exactly the same as the sitting. And then begin a slow walk. And what some people do is they, is they are aware of the placing of the foot and the lifting of the other foot and the sensations in the foot as it moves and then placing. Lifting, 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 moving, placing, placing, placing. Or if you're doing a bit faster, it could just be left, right. But the important thing is to be aware of the sensations in exactly the same way as we're aware of the sensations of the breathing. The mind wanders, just bring it back. Now I know there are about 10 things I should say, and I can't for the life of me think of any of the other ones. It's a good idea to keep your head up, so don't look down. What you're wanting is, I mean, it's uncomfortable in the body if the head's down, but also if your head is up, then it's easier to actually be with the sensations rather than the visual of it, because what we're trying to do is just be aware of the different sensations in the body as we're making our steps, one after the other. When you get to the other side, stop, feel the ground again, feel the body, slowly move around, and then stop, and then start again. And this is a good exercise in seeing how <coughs> so many moments are impulsive. It's almost like, oh, I want to get started again, you know? I mean, and you know, just be willing to rest there. And then when it feels absolutely ready, or when you feel ready, then begin again. There's no rush, there's no busyness, just being with the steps. Sometimes I've seen people take like 20 minutes to make 20 steps, you know, just with every single little sensation, just moving. Well, I have to ask some of the experienced ones here what I've forgotten to, to offer. Is there anything? Would you be willing to demonstrate that for anyone here who hasn't really seen, like walk from here to there? I'd say you walk, Kath. Kathleen, why don't you walk and then I will alert people. <laughs> Would you please? Okay. Great. Right, so, you know, when, when you leave here, don't like rush. I remember when we used to do long r retreats, we all had like our favorite spot, and heaven forbid anyone else should get there. And so it was like, the gong would go, and everybody was like, ready, and it was like, okay, and then, like, rush to get to your spot, you know, which meant there was like five minutes when you were just sort of frantic, and then you sort of get there all rattled, you know, and then you do your walking meditation. So really, give attention to the in-between places. Sometimes those are the most important. 
So as, as Kathleen modeled for us, she walked very mindfully over there, got there, okay. So, you know, just stand, you know, be with, like, you know, if the mind wanders, a thought comes, uh, thinking back to standing, be aware of the sounds, you know, with sounds, we give that same quality of attention, not, oh, it's a bird, it's a beautiful red bird, I wonder where it's going, you know, that's all extra, just a sound, boom, boom, you know, not a rustle of a leaf, just the sound of the leaf, it's so pure to be able to, to hear with full attention, we add nothing to it, it's just in its purity, so we let the awareness be pure of what we see, what we hear, the sensations in the body, and then when we're absolutely ready, we can, like, say, lift the left foot and being aware in the soles of the feet of the sensations, and then the placing, and then down. And what you may even want to do if you want to go really slow is wait till the front foot is completely down and then lift the back foot. So we bring it over. We put the heel down, 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 we fully rested, and then we start lifting the other one. Up, up, lifting, placing, placing. Keep the other one down, Kathleen. Down, down. No, no. Keep the right one down. There we go. So the left one is placing. Good. Placing, and then, yeah, that's it. Now, now you can go... You know, you could do that for one, and then you can speed up now, you know, and then just do left, right, left. It's the quality of attention, not the speed. There we go. And then, now we stop. Great. And now we feel our body. We're totally there. Now turn around mindfully. It's really great. Kathy's looking like right ahead all the time. A lot of people that do walk meditation tend to sort of look at their feet, and that just hurts the back. Okay, and then we start off again. Here we go. Thank you, Kathy. So. Now this is the one we've all been waiting for, the gong ring. Uh, somebody with a watch who would be willing to, in maybe 25 minutes, ring the gong, sort of all around the property. And then, no, it's like five minutes or so before we start again. So don't like rush back, just slowly make your way back, about five minutes. Somebody who would be willing to take the gong with them and bring it in 25 minutes? Thank you very much. W where is the gong? Outside the corner, you'll see it. Okay. Thank you. Are there any questions about the walking or the sitting meditation? Or anything else? Right. Well, 
the important thing about it's a great question it's an important one and it, and it comes up for everybody from time to time is what to do with sleepiness and what to do with when the mind gets dull it's not our habitual pattern is to get rid of it because there's something else that we want that we'd rather have we'd rather be alert the way of meditation is different the way of meditation is understanding what it is that has arisen and so if dullness comes it, w- it might be that the first response is hmm recognizing dullness here we have dullness an old friend you know not pushing it away wanting something else but there it is then you might ask how do I experience this dullness so it's like oh you know there's like dullness there's heaviness my head is like sensations in my head, just recognizing it as being there. And often what happens is when we are aware of it and we, we, un- we when we're present with it, it goes. It's like a thought. I don't know if you, if you found, like, the moment you're aware that a thought has started, it's like, it's gone. It's almost like there's a train and the thought comes in, and we go along and we think and we're there and we're at the supermarket and we're at the doctor and then we realize thinking has happened boom, it's like the end and we come back and often with these things just awareness is it dissolves it so being aware of it which you clearly are you're aware of what's happening is the first thing now there are a number of responses, you know, if, if there's sleepiness. So I'll give you some of them, and I'm sure other people have other suggestions. One is open your eyes a little bit. I find it helpful if I'm dozing just to have a soft focus out there, just to kind of have a triangle and just like keep, especially if you're going like this. I mean, I've been on long retreats where people have just straight over, you know, <laughs> happens. And for me it happens when there's something I really don't want to look at. It's like, let's throw up, like, tiredness here. We don't want to go near that, you know. So we just, like, zone him out. So try that. It's like, your spirit is great because it's like, meditation is about making what is difficult workable. So it's like, how can I work with, with that? So one is opening your eyes. Stand up. It's like, they, you know, you're not going to be dozy standing up because you're going to fall down. If you need to stand up, stand up, you know. Another one is just take a few deep breaths, you know. Another one is if you find that your posture is sort of slouching and, and that, that's why sitting with your back, like, straight and sort of, like, we don't want to be, you know, fierce, but we don't want to be like this. We want to be sort of, alert posture helps the mind be alert. So that's also helpful. Um, you know, if it's, you know, if it's really, you know, persistent, you can get up and go and do walking meditation. The important thing is that we be awake, not that we, we have some sort of allegiance to a form. We want the mind to be alert. And sometimes if we just tired, we just tired and we go to sleep and we go and have a sleep, you know, on a long retreat, you know. So there are all different ways of working with it. 
But one of the ways that the mind tricks us is with sleepiness. It's like if we're getting uncomfortably close to something that we don't want to look at, it's like the mind says, let's pull out sleepiness, you know. It's the same with pain, you know, if you're sitting and there's pain in the body. Now, we're not here, like, to be samurai, you know. And so, first of all, if there's pain in the body, it's a good idea just to let the awareness go to the pain and just be with those sensations and see what happens, rather than immediately shift. Because often, we find that we can be with it, and it sort of dissolves. And if we're not resistant to the pain, often it just dissipates and our resistance actually keeps it in place. So going to the pain, rather than impulsively moving to get rid of it, can be very instructive. But there are times when we need to move. We're not here to hurt ourselves, we're here to heal ourselves. So it's just a question of taking responsibility and experimenting with our capacity to be with what's uncomfortable or what appears difficult, which is what I mentioned at the beginning of our day. So to use the difficulties, the challenges, mindfully, as we have a very great opportunity to today, is very precious. Is that helpful? Are there any other questions? Uh, I would like to ask about eye contact and mm. how we share the day here in this space. It's a good idea, you know, out there to sort of just avoid eye contact, you know, particularly if you're with somebody or you know people, you know, um, just, you know, keeping the eyes sort of down is really helpful. It just helps us be inward. You know, one of the ways that we really distract ourselves a lot, and also one of the ways, of course, that we interact in the world is with eye contact, and it's terribly important. However, today is an opportunity not to, to relate to one another in that way at the moment. And so I invite you to experiment with just being really inward with yourself today. Thank you. In practice, we've been focusing on the breath, and over the course of the day, what we'll do is we'll gradually broaden the circle of our intention, uh, of our awareness, until uh, by the time we sit for our last sitting together, we will be including every aspect. It's a good idea to introduce the different aspects of awareness gradually, rather than all at once. It just makes it more easily and more manageable. And, and so what I'd like to suggest is that during this next meditation period, bring sounds very directly into um, your awareness. As I mentioned during the walking meditation instructions, with 
hearing, we bring the same quality of bare attention, attention free of words, free of judging, free of those qualities that the Buddha spoke of, greed, hatred, and delusion. We don't cling to the sound, we don't push it away, we don't get lost in the sound. Just allow sounds to happen moment to moment. The breath is the anchor that we return to again and again in the practice and from which we begin to explore every aspect of our experience. So use the breathing as a tool for collecting the mind, for bringing an alignment of attention, and then from the breathing move out to the sounds now, including sounds in, in your field of, of awareness. If the mind gets discursive and scattered, return to the breathing again. Collect the mind, move out to the sounds. Include also sensations of, as we've been doing. If, if something arises in the body that is predominant, then allow the awareness to shift to the predominant sensation in the body, giving that same quality of bare attention to the sensations as they arise and as they pass away might be feelings of heat or cold or tingling or pulling, whatever, just being willing to be present with the truth of what is arising moment to moment, including sensations, including sounds, including thoughts. If thoughts arise, just be aware that thinking has happened and return to the, to the awareness of breathing. And if sleepiness arises, if drowsiness, doziness, bringing awareness to the experience, where do you experience that in the body, in the mind? How does it feel? What is the texture of the sleepiness, of the drowsiness? Beginning to open the field of attention during this meditation to include more and more of what is arising from moment to moment. Following this sitting, there will be an opportunity for discussion and dialogue about the practice and any questions that you might have. But if there's anything that you'd like to bring forward right now, I certainly invite you to do so. some cases the labeling just hearing or sound or what's uh, just the sensation in the ears what's the um, how how do we best bring open our awareness to sound sometimes it's helpful if the mind is being discursive and very scattered, to use a soft background little note of hearing, hearing, just to acknowledge what is happening. 
the importance with using a note like that is to keep it very much in the background. We want it to bring attention to what is happening and often with the use of a, an, of a practice of noting like that, or for example when you're walking, if you go left, right, left, right, sometimes the mind can be more focused on the word that you're using than on the experience of what is happening. So if it's helpful to use a soft note to acknowledge thinking, hearing, hearing, feeling, tightness, you could do that, or even in and out with the breathing. Just be sure to keep that note very much in the background and that all of the awareness is with the uh, sensation or with the sound that, that has arisen. With hearing, it's very difficult to be wholeheartedly present without adding anything. It's like we hear a sound, it's almost like the mind is inclined almost instantaneously to label it. We hear something, it can't just be a squeak. It's like roof, heat, or if we're feeling hot and sweaty, then the mind immediately adds on. That's okay, just being aware that that's happening. Returning to the breath if we're getting lost in thoughts, and then seeing if it can be possible just to hear the sound arising, passing away, like the breath, the beginning, the middle, the end of the sound. Blump, 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 just happening. No label, no extra, not grabbing it, not pushing it away, not getting lost, just being present with the miracle of life birthing itself moment to moment. So we bring that quality of bare attention the sounds, the sensations in the body, to the experience of breathing, beginning to open up the meditation practice. In the course of the day, we'll include seeing, and we'll also include tasting and smelling, and the, the rich emotional life that we all have. But during this meditation, the breath, thoughts, hearing, and sensations in the body. And I'll guide us a little into that. I'd like to take you for a moment, if I may, on a journey back to the 13th century to a village called Konya in Turkey. Just bring this over here. Uh, to the marketplace in, in Konya in Turkey. And at that time of of uh, history, particularly Kanya was a melting pot of people from all over the world, Muslims and Christians and Buddhists and Hindus, their paths often crisscrossed in Kanya. It was a very rich, vibrant town. And it was in Kanya that Rumi lived, another Sufi that I'd like to bring to our day together. He was a scholar and philosopher. And at this particular junction in his life, he was 37 years old, and he was in the marketplace on a donkey, and he was surrounded by disciples. And it was in that marketplace in his 37th year that he bumped into Shams, a wandering dervish 
of the time. Shams was from Tabriz, actually, a town in present-day Iran that I visited. Very wild and rugged place. And Rumi was immediately profoundly challenged by the piercing eyes of Shams. He was stunned to find himself in an instant face to face with the colossal mystery of life. And he realized that this was no casual encounter. In fact, the impact of Rumi's connection with Shams knocked him off the donkey, stunned him, and he ended up on the ground. This was the man who was to become his teacher, mentor, and friend for the rest of Shams's life. Rumi later wrote about this encounter. He said, what I once thought of as God, I met today as a human being. What I once thought of as God, I met today as a human being. And their bond, Shams of Tabriz and Rumi, their bond was everlasting and forever changed the course of Rumi's life. It was an immediate, powerful, transcendent friendship that lasted for the next 20 or so years until Shams was murdered, actually, by some of Rumi's followers who were jealous of him. And their connection and the teaching that Rumi received from Shams birthed some of the world's most beautiful, exquisite, and ecstatic poetry. And certainly for me, some of the most beloved poetry I've ever read in my life. And I'd like to introduce you to one that I read recently and not read before as an introduction to, to this meditation. Rumi says this, he says, Yesterday at dawn, Shams said to me, How long will this unconsciousness go on? You fill yourself with the sharp pain of love rather than its fulfillment. I said, but I can't get to you. You are the whole dark night and I am a single candle. My life is upside down because of you. And my friend replied, I am your deepest being. Quit talking about wanting me. I said, then what is this restlessness? What is this restlessness? And my friend said to me, does a drop stay still in the ocean? Move with the entirety and with the tiniest particular. Be the moisture in an oyster that helps to form one pearl. Move with the entirety and with the tiniest particular.
shall we sit, please? Once again, giving attention to the sitting posture. Being as alert in the body as possible. And then shifting awareness as ready to the experience of breathing to that place where you experience the breath most distinctly. Using the breath as a tool, as an anchor for stilling, quieting, collecting the mind. Opening to the tiniest particular sensation in the body with the changing sensations of the breath. Being aware of the beginning, the middle, and the end of the in-breath. The space between breaths and then the beginning, the middle, the ending of the out-breath. And from the experience of breathing, allowing the awareness to open and include sounds that become predominant, giving that same quality of bare attention, free of pushing away, free of holding on, free of words, concepts, allowing sounds to arise and pass away, bringing that same bare attention to the arising of other sensations in the body, being willing to bring wholehearted attention to the life of the body moment to moment. And if emotions arise, opening to the emotion, perhaps there's boredom. Being aware the boredom has arisen and experiencing with bare attention the sensations of boredom in the body. It may be that fear arises or anger or feelings of love sadness, joy, bringing this same quality of bare attention, of awareness, to the emotional world also. You may wish to use a soft background note of thinking, breathing, or perhaps heat cold, tingling in the body, 
boredom, sadness, loneliness, joy, to help anchor the attention with the experience of life moment to moment, using the breath as a tool to still and calm the mind, beginning to open and extend awareness to other aspects of life, manifesting moment to moment. Always remembering that the willingness to begin again and again and again is the heart. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.